There used to be two types of Portra 400. They got rid of those variants and just formed one film stock because of the rise of Instagram and posting digital photos rather than print. I think that people don't really understand that like film photos do get edited. They always have. Maybe not in the same way that you edit raw photos in Lightroom, but like there are adjustments made when you're processing film. Hello and welcome to the Golden Hour Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Mays, and we're here in the Polar Pro Studio. Today's guest is Davis Tyler, filmmaker, YouTuber, and film photographer who specializes in medium format film photography. One of Davis Tyler's main jobs is working for YouTuber iJustine, where he both shoots and edits on her channel. Davis Tyler's style of photography is a real blend of portrait work mixed with street photography, and if you're someone wanting to get into 35mm or medium format film photo work, you will enjoy this episode. Before we get started, however, I would like to encourage you guys to check out our website, polarpro.com. On it, you can watch the incredible focus series of short films we made with creators such as Dan Mace, Chris Howe, and Carmen Hutter. And you can also check out the Peter McKinnon Variable Neutral Density Filter, which is one of our most popular filters we sell and has been getting overwhelmingly positive reviews. Go check all of that out at PolarPro.com. Without any further ado, let's listen in on my conversation with Davis Tyler. All right, so we're here with Tyler, aka Davis Tyler who is a friend of mine we met i guess we officially met at the sony event last year the a6400 event yes were you there wait no you weren't there i think justine was there yeah were you there i I don't think i was at that one the catalina one i was i was not there okay so where did we meet them dude we met for the first time in front of the apple store in the promenade that's right because uh, Justine was going to be in was in one of your parody videos. Yeah, a I brand bought, new iPhone video. Brand new iPhone. That's right. Yeah, yeah. and you guys video. were secretly filming content on the new iPhone, which wasn't out yet. Exactly. Yeah, and you had to like be on the DL about it, but we we all knew what you were doing. Yeah, every yeah, <laughs> we were doing our best to hide it, but everyone knows what's going on. Yeah, you know. So uh, Tyler, you're you know you you kind of do everything in the photography and filmmaking world it seems a little bit yeah you're, right. you're a filmmaker videographer editor you shoot on film you also shoot digital <laughs> like you do everything so yeah what do you call yourself um creator I, cr- creative <laughs> director um and i feel okay calling myself that because i've actually held that uh title at, at a real job for mm-hmm. more than a year um yeah but i've sort of like ever since i got into making digital content like for the internet um i sort of have done a little bit of everything and that started um in 2011 and it's really gone in a whole bunch of different directions for me since then um so yeah but like photography specifically has sort of been always there like since i was a kid just like you know and as been part of what I do like my entire life really since I was really young and doing videos and stuff but I never really um, started taking photography like super seriously as like a craft and as like something Mm -hmm. serious until just a few years ago even though I'd always been taking photos and always like you know been really you know attached to that um, I really started taking it seriously so yeah after I quit uh, a really, um, let's say a job that wasn't right for me. Sure. Yeah. Well, let's start there then. I mean, if you, you've always had an itch for it, you've always grown Mm -hmm. up around it. Did you have a film camera or a digital camera growing up? Yeah. I think a lot of people start this way, but it's like with the family VHS camcorder was my like intro. And then we would go camping a lot. I grew up in Oregon on the coast in like a small town. Mm Mm-hmm. And we would go camping a lot, and my mom would bring disposable cameras. And that was just sort of, like, how it started. And then, I mean, I was, when I started, I was too young to even know, like, what I was doing. But, like, my, the first video I made was, like, filming my little brother, who was, like, two years old. And I was, like, six years old. <laughs> filming him sitting on the couch, like, doing that nodding thing where you like, nodding fall, off. falling asleep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's like the first like video I ever made, but 
I always like, so you're making fun of your brother. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just something about like the frame. Mm -hmm. I've always been really kind of like obsessed with like that, the shape that the composition frame. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't know know that it was anything to it. It was just a natural thing for you. Yeah. But I didn't really get into, um, you know, and, and then I made videos throughout high school. Like I, did video production classes and not much else. Like, you know, I didn't do, you weren't like, trying to pursue that as a career necessarily. It was just fun. I thought I did like, I got really into music mm-hmm. and playing in bands in high school. And then the video stuff I had been doing was just like, how do we film music videos and, you know, shoot these little concerts that we're doing. And like, yeah, um, that sort of, so it kind of like was always there no matter what I was doing kind of thing. Um, and then I like dropped out of college for a band after I sort of like snapped out of it. I was like, I'm going to go finish school, but I'll, you know, do some film classes and stuff in school. I met a dude named on the internet, super ed 86. And if anybody knows like the real OG, real OG YouTubers, the first wave of OG YouTubers, <laughs> then you'll know who super ed 86 is. And he's, I mean, if you look it up, it's super weird. It, it like he's, his videos are out there. Um, I met him in <laughs> school in Portland. Mm, he told me what YouTube. I didn't, I knew what YouTube was, but I didn't really understand where it was going to go and what it was really about until I met this guy and he showed me like his videos and he like, um, and then I started helping him make some videos and, um, he, uh, he was like, we were about to graduate school and Mm -hmm. he was like, yo, my friends in Los Angeles, my YouTube friends, my internet friends are like starting this company or something. And they want me to move down there and be a part of it. It's called the station. Um, and that ended up being maker studios. Mm -hmm. And he was like, you could probably get a job there too. It was a cinematographer. And I was like, cool. And so we did that. What year was that? That was was 2011. It was like, it's still considered early YouTube, but I mean, that, that was quite a while after the OG OG stuff. Yeah. Like he, you know, it was right when the whole like MCN thing started to happen. Maker was sort of like the, the genesis of that yeah. business model. And, you know, we didn't even know that that's what it was going to turn into at the time, but we've packed whatever we could fit into his car and we drove down to LA and, it would just sort of like all happened from there. That's how I sort of got started, like working professionally in the, you know, internet entertainment industry. Um, so, and ever since then I've been working behind the scenes in YouTube or, you know, just the greater, like, you know, digital media space in yeah. some capacity or another. And, um, that's really how it all started. And then, so you really didn't do the traditional route that a lot of people take where maybe you do some freelance stuff here and there. You shoot weddings, music videos, corporate stuff. You kind of went straight into YouTube. Okay. So while, before I moved to LA, before the YouTube thing started happening, I did some weddings. Um, and I did my first job, my very first like industry job was transcribing interviews and that is the worst (laughs) thing i have ever done to this day yeah like it's listening to an interview and typing out what people say is horrible (laughs) it's a horrible thing luckily like they have software for that now but like you didn't have the foot pedal no transcriptionists have like a little foot pedal where they could speed it up and slow it down and pause it with their feet so they could just type and oh use their feet. Oh my god, I didn't have the foot pedal. No, they just sent me hard drives of footage. <laughs> so it's like, and here, watch this with QuickTime and yeah. pause, play, pause, oh, play. Dude, yeah, it was bad. I oh, did that torture. for like, I did it for like five days and then I didn't. Yeah. I'm surprised it was five days. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, I did some weddings and I, you know, just did some, whatever I could. And yeah. then, but I was like, I was in Portland 
and there was just not a lot there unless I wanted to work as a PA on this TV show that was shooting there for like 50 bucks a day Mm -hmm. and just get shit on. And I was like, well, how about I just go to LA and like have fun? Yeah. And that's really what it was. Maker Studios was an insane like dream world to like work in. Who were, who were all involved with Maker Studio at the beginning then? Um, Danny Diamond, uh, Lisa Nova, um, I think I think Shane Dawson was involved in the very beginning. Um but when I when I went down there, they were kind of starting to get established. They had moved out of the garage into this like space above a nail salon. And um <laughs> Moving on up. they had like a studio and they had some editing bays and like I think I was probably like the sixth or seventh production person that they had hired. Um so how did it work? Was it just an open space where all these creators would utilize the exactly. production people like you? Exactly. Wow. And we, you know, everyone was like, I was living in a house with like Bart Baker and some other random YouTubers and people would come in and out and like, I was living in the garage and then we, you know, people were sleeping in the living room and like people would just show up and start shooting videos. And like, <laughs> it was wild, man. People were like, their budgets were being handed out and, I don't know if I should say all this. Um, <laughs> it's good YouTube content. <laughs> or it's good uh, um, good YouTube story stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, it was it was like a... It's a long time ago, and Maker Studios has definitely uh, fallen away, right? So Well, yeah. they. So I was there for like three years until just before they were sold, bought by Disney. And they became, I think it's called Disney Digital Networks now. And I still have some friends who still work there, and they're like Disney employees now. It's Interesting. like crazy. It's um, probably way more structured, and people are not in a garage shooting stuff, e- right? <laughs> like yeah, <it's> <laughs> no, like it's very very corporate, <laughs> dude. When I so there was like a day where they laid off like eighty people in one day on a Friday. Um, it was like all of the production people and like. I didn't know. realize there was that many people involved. Eighty people is a ton of people. Oh yeah, at that time I think there was like three. 400 employees like wow yeah like it grew to be very massive we moved into like this huge space and we had tons of gear giant gear cage and like giant white sykes and studios and like you know multiple buildings and and multiple massive youtube channels were being created and uh Mm -hmm. shot there yeah it was great and we had like tons of resources like at the time so I started as a cinematographer and then I moved into directing and I directed Bart Baker's infamous music video parodies mm-hmm. for about a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had like huge budgets. Like we did three day shoots and we had like yeah. stages built and casting and like, yeah. you know, costumes made custom. Like, so when we met and I was doing my little parody, you're like, Oh, I've been here before. It did. It did give me a little nostalgia. I was like, <laughs> dude, that's like the beauty of like YouTube. And I think it, yeah. I was going to say back then, but I think it can still be like that. It's just like, you know, yeah. just going out and having fun and like just messing or messing around. And, uh, totally. Yeah. But anyway, that, you know, maker was a, a really cool time. We call it Maker University. The people who like <laughs> used to be there and like got fired, aka graduated. So what happened? Did you get fired, or did you eventually yeah, leave? There or? was a huge layoff uh-huh. right before they were getting sold to Disney because they had to. They weren't making any money, or they needed to. Yeah, exactly. They needed to meet some like revenue goals, you know. So if they cut seventy-five, eighty salaries, yeah, on a day, then. <laughs> gets them a lot closer the company sold for three almost a billion dollars oh my it's like 650 million dollars um and what i mean what were the contracts with these youtubers was it brutal for the creators i think i don't were they splitting half or like 40 percent i think it really depended and i I don't want to sure yeah i'm not sure i just i would assume that it was probably some crazy contracts that were involved, right? Because basically the maker studios would launch a channel. So they obviously want to have some sort of revenue Yeah, coming from the creator. It was, uh, you know, I don't, I don't remember exactly. I wasn't really like, yeah, it was just a crazy that, nutty time. Cause like that was right when YouTube unleashed the ad revenue mm-hmm. and, 
I guess in a way it was like at its prime, you know. I know there was a lot of money coming in yes. in the early days. Yes. Uh, whereas now it's kind of, it's probably, it's still like, if you're on the high end, you can make some good money, but it's nowhere near what it was, right? Yeah. So I'm getting in at the perfect time. <laughs> Starting my YouTube channel. It's a mature platform-ish. Right. Yeah, I yeah. Guess. yeah. Um, I think it's interesting that I have been working in YouTube for like eight years now, and I only just decided <laughs> to start my own channel. But man, you, um, you of all people, you know it. My parents well. started a YouTube channel before no. I did. <laughs> what do they do? They're full-time van lifers. Really? Two, two well, I mean, half, they're from Portland. So. Two and a half years full-time on the road making What's their videos every called? week carry on vagabond <laughs> carry on vagabond it's pretty corny right my dad came up with that i love it Twenty-two thousand subscribers yeah man almost 300 videos <laughs> they're full they're dude, legit dude. dude my stepmom like learned how to use cameras bought a macbook <laughs> pro learned how to use premiere like taught herself everything i helped a little bit but like so it was like when your parents did that you're like all right dang it i guess i should do this dude not even then not oh, even really? then i was like oh good job guys that's awesome <laughs> you know and i like helped him out a little bit um my new dad is like he's looking good for an old man yeah 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 he's got he's, a great beard i mean fit. he's like yeah he's a, he's a fit dude you're gonna you got good genetics yeah we'll see <laughs> um anyways no yeah so so maker studio you get fi- quit fired whatever yeah, let yeah. Go, yes whatever you want to call it yeah yeah um what happens then i mean were you um, kind of like oh crap what do i do or yeah, did you have it, a job it was really like kind of out of nowhere we knew things were shaking up but like you know after it was like one day a bunch of us were just like out of work um, but I guess a good thing is there are a bunch of colleagues and it's kind of like you were all out of work together. Yeah. So exactly. We were able to, so really quickly, lean on each other. I, I, I landed this like, you know, associate producer job at this startup that was all about, uh, launching TV networks, mm-hmm. like over the air, you know, TV channels, like that you downloaded the app on your whatever device, um, powered by fueled, uh, with YouTube content. So it was like licensing, working with YouTube channels and being like, Hey, we want to make a half hour show out of your stuff or whatever. And we'd like, yeah, you know, I've seen um, those types of shows. Yes. Um, so, and that was very interesting time. I was there for like two or three years. Um, and we launched a channel. We launched a channel called TBD. Oh yeah. One of my videos was on that. Really? Yeah, I did a proposal. I filmed a magic proposal once. And it was this guy who made like a some dirt vanish, and then he proposed to his girlfriend. Yeah, with a magic trick. It was on that show. Whoa. Yeah. Nice. Do you remember that? I don't know. I don't. Okay. So my job. That, <laughs> so I was promoted to creative director years ago. for that network, and I so I was more on like branding and design, and you know, coming up with graphics and stuff, just for like working with the marketing people uh-huh. and that's you know that's what like ate my soul yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> so that job like slowly ate my soul and then uh, eventually i had to uh just like walk away from that i was like and because it was like not right for me i started like just really focusing on photography again that's yeah you know because i needed something i started going back i started like swearing around with shooting film because i hadn't shot film since i was in school and like um i started posting more on instagram and like really thinking about like man and then when i when i finally left that job i was like i'm just gonna go really like all my energy into photography because it just makes me feel good and that's what i want so uh, and that's what I've been doing ever since. I still do video work, but I only have one client, and that's iJustine. And, um, you know, I pick up video jobs here and there, but I'm really sort of picky about it. Um, and I just focus on doing photography. I do a lot of portrait work, and I do, um, you know, sometimes I'll do stuff with brands, but, um, yeah. So, I mean, what what was it that drew you to film photography? Cause that's, you know, kind of the main topic of, of our conversation probably today would be yeah. 
you know the fact that you're if you want to call yourself it, the niche of the film photography genre right so yeah um you're shooting on you brought your camera it's a massive chunky big boy <laughs> yeah what camera is that i have a couple chunky boys uh that's the mamiya rb67 uh-huh. it's a medium format medium format camera uh shoots six by seven negatives and it came out in like 68 i think the model that i have yeah uh so it's pretty old or no 70 i think it came out early 70s anyway but like, it doesn't what, matter what drew you to what drew you to so film? it's a few things um it, the experience of taking photos is different than shooting digital i think that it's once i've had time to like think about it because i've been doing it again for like a couple years now it's really not about the aesthetic of the photos themselves even though there is a lot to talk about there it's like the tactile experience of using a film camera and the Mm -hmm. process that you have to go through to make the images is just so fun to me um and it's so like it makes like sort of mm, it's hard to put into words like the process of making the photo is almost like entirely what i like about it (laughs) you know and then because i always like after i make some photos like i look back on them like a few months later and i'm like oh i hate that work Uh uh-huh you know i'm not a fan of it anymore but i'll always but i'm always happy with the experience of the photo shoot itself and Mm -hmm. you know and then i can look at those photos and they just end up being sort of like a a learning tool to like how can i make sure i don't do that anymore or do this better um so what you're referring to then is the selection of different film stocks, the understanding of uh, your shutter speed, aperture, uh, yeah, getting your exposure right in camera, you know. Yeah, exactly. Learning how to develop, do you develop yourself? Or do Not you yet. I mean, I know how. Uh, I just haven't done it. Well, color is hard. For sure. like, it's very hard. It's actually really easy nowadays. Really? Yeah. I, I um, always thought black and white was like, super easy it is but color there's like there's some new things that you can get um cine still makes a really nice kit which i have back ordered um i just haven't they are pretty popular um but it's literally like a tiny little tank and it takes like maybe 20 minutes and you can develop a couple rolls of film at a time oh wow um and it's just like the chemical i'm gonna do it i'm gonna make a video about it um (laughs) for sure but i do scan all my own film so i do send it out to be developed at a lab right now and then i don't have them scan it because it's so expensive and you can scan film negatives with a digital camera and a macro lens so um like do you have a light box or something yeah this like little tracing pad thing it's you kind of have to splurge for a nice one because the color temperature needs to be even and there you know there's a bunch of like boring technical stuff about it that i had to look up on blogs and stuff but once (laughs) you get it down um it cuts costs a lot and developing your own film will cut costs a lot as well but yeah, dude, the whole process. And also, um, when I did, when I started doing photography again as a job, I would go out and do, you know, maybe I'd do headshots for somebody for, we'd shoot for two or three hours. I would shoot like 2,000 photos. Yeah. And that's just like wrong. <laughs> yeah. That's like so unnecessary. And like, uh-huh. I would try to like, oh, I need to shoot less next time. And you know, okay. So now I only have a thousand photos to go through, which is still just outrageous. And I would, you know, be sitting in front of my computer making selections. And it's like, how do you select between 30 photos that are all essentially the same? Yeah. You know? And it's like, makes my brain hurt. Yeah. And then, and then editing raw photos digital photos there's so many endless possibilities for how they can look and you know making those choices can be that's really cool that you know you have so much flexibility but it's also kind of uh it can be daunting and like a little like tedious you Mm -hmm. know 
And I like the idea of creating limitations for yourself and working within, you know, that analogy about working in a sandbox instead of the desert. Um, And then also I would probably say that your clients, because they're seeing you use film, because they're seeing the results, they're probably like, if it's digital, they kind of know that they can make changes or edits but with film, they're like, wow, that looks so cool. It's so retro, so great. And then you might not have to make as many yeah. changes. Oh, I don't. I don't now. I, I, dude, yes, exactly. That's like... Because the clients understand that film is not uh, digital. Yeah, it's one of the best parts about shooting on film is the time saved sitting in front of a computer, whether it's rating images in Lightroom and like choosing selections. And then, yeah, if people don't you know, like how the photos edited, then, you know, you got a problem. And mm. if you don't have a contract with somebody that says, you know, you kind of have to acquiesce to their requests or not, and like make a choice there yeah. shooting film. It's like, okay, we're going to shoot this on portrait 400 and that film looks like this. Yeah. And I, the only time I spend is 30 minutes, maybe scanning the photos at my computer processing them and then they're done and I don't have to sit there for hours and hours <laughs> and like edit. So I get all that time back, yeah. um, which is really cool. Um, also even in 2020 having something that's the equivalent of your medium format film camera is still going to cost you tens of thousands of dollars to get anything close to that in a digital sense. True. So yeah. You're getting better, uh, you know, sharpness i guess or whatever yeah you do get more resolution with a medium format film that's why i ended up buying a couple medium format film cameras but i did start shooting 35 and that's really fun too 35 millimeter but i wanted some more resolution and i wanted you know the depth more of field is pretty yeah dude the depth of field is crazy because it's like you know an f11 on a medium format film camera is like an F4 <laughs> in a digital equivalent. And the lenses, like I have a 90 millimeter lens on the camera I brought. It's a 45 millimeter equivalent for a full frame sensor. It's insane. So you get sort of like this, there's just, a sort of larger than life look you can get. Um, well, it's because you're getting the compression of a 90 millimeter. So there's no bending of the lens but the whiteness of, <clears throat> like you said, a 45. Yeah. So it has this feeling of like, it's, it's, there's nothing like it. Cause our brains are so used to the normal yeah. look. Yeah. You can get your subject really far away from the lens, but still have this depth of field that is so shallow. It can sometimes come off like looking fake. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's <laughs> like a line to like walk there, but it's like, are you using portrait mode on your phone? It's yeah. Like, it's uh, literally it's no. so weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. If you can get that, those, you know, the math of your settings and the distance of your subject, right. It can look pretty gnarly and, and, and trippy. Going to take a quick break in my conversation with Davis Tyler to recommend that you guys check out the new Peter McKinnon Polar Pro VND filter system. VND stands for Variable Neutral Density Filter, and we sell multiple thread sizes for all your lenses in two different strengths one that is 2 to 5 stop ND, and one that is 6 to 9 stop ND. The great thing about using a VND is that it covers so many different ranges of ND, so you don't have to carry around so many different filters when you're out shooting. It also acts as a polarizer as well, so you can get even more saturated and punchy landscapes using a VND rather than just a normal ND. The biggest difference between our VND and the competitions is the fact that we have hard stops on either end of the variable strengths, keeping the unwanted cross polarization from happening that other VNDs struggle with, giving you an unwanted vignette effect to your image. The quality of the glass itself outshines the competition using a fused quartz glass, giving it a superior optical clarity over any glass on the market. Each VND also comes with a super compact carrying case and one of my favorite little accessories, a Defender Slim cover, which mounts perfectly onto the filter and provides fingerprint free installation and gives your filter rugged protection from drops or scuffs. To learn more about the Peter McKinnon VND, check it out on our website, polarpro.com. All right, now let's get back to the show. So tell me about your YouTube channel then. It kind of started, I kind of started thinking about making it when I started working with Justine last year Mm -hmm. and I was like, man, I'm working in proximity to someone who 
has had massive success on the platform. She's like independently, you know, created this like really successful channel. And I have this great opportunity to learn from her, like, and maybe I should start a channel and like put some of that to use. And, but I didn't really know what I was going to do. And then I was like, uh, you know, I, I should do it about photography. So that's at least the channel's brand new. Um, go subscribe Davis Tyler. Yeah, exact. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm about to hit my first 1000 subs, yeah, which dude. is cool. Um, let's, let's try to cap it. Let's do, let's do a thousand. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Um, so yeah, it's, it's about photography and film photography. At least right now I might, I'm, I'm trying not to really get into the weeds about it needs to be about this or the format is this. I'm just going to sort of do whatever yeah. I want and not really now think about it Now's the time to experiment and just yeah. start cranking stuff out. So it's been, iPhone it's 11, been super fun. iPhone 11 Pro versus medium format film. Everybody go check that one out. That's cool. The subtitle is the camera comparison no one asked for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so true though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No one cares about that. Uh, so yeah, I've just sort of like making videos for me, things that I think are interesting. And, um, and you've got, like you said, you have these, I mean, it looks like you shot some of that at camera camp, right? So yeah, exactly. You've got this proximity to other creators like Justine, but also other people that you're interacting with on a regular basis Yeah, because she collaborates with everybody. It's so true. I've been, you know, working with how we met. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm so stoked about that. Like, and now I'm hanging out at Polar Pro and like, you guys are amazing. And I've been able to just working with Justine has been very cool. Um, Can we talk about that? How did yeah. you, how'd you meet her? Was that um, through the maker studios? No, it was or? like totally random. I had quit that job and I had been freelance photography doing Instagram for about a year mm-hmm. and it was like a mutual friend and they're like, Hey, um, my friend Justine is looking for some help. Yeah. And we, did you know up. about, did you know who she was before? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd, I'd known who she was. I'm sorry. Um, she wasn't involved in maker at all. No, I think that she may have done some stuff with them, but she has never like, signed her channel to, you know, she's been independent her entire YouTube career, which I think is super cool. Is super cool. Um, and working with her and like seeing her work ethic, um, has been like super inspiring. She is like a total like boss. She like, you know, she's a badass. <laughs> she's a total badass. And like, it's, it's a lot of fun. And we, you know, we get to do some travel, we get to like do some really cool events. Um, and like we were just talking about meet some really cool people, like-minded individuals. And, um, so yeah, I, I just thought it'd be really dumb to not start a YouTube channel and just like, and it, it's been really fun. And I'm like, I'm stoked. I just shot a new video last night. Like, I got like tons of ideas and like, you know, I'm, I'm really stoked to like get it going. Yeah. What are some things that over this last year that you've been with Justine, what are some things that you've picked up from her that you've learned from her? I mean, you mentioned her work ethic and stuff, but like, is there anything specific that she does that you think a lot of other creators could learn from? She is very good at, and I think this is a skill that has to come with like just massive experience. She is really good at understanding what people might want to hear about in a video that a lot of creators might not think to put in the video. She, she's very thoughtful about, um, what people should be getting out of the video. Like, Oh, we need to talk about this because they might misunderstand and mess up. Like she wants to help um, as in every situation possible. Mm-hmm. And when we first started working together, I was like, oh, I mean, you don't have to talk about that little detail. Right. Like we, and she, and it's like, no, we, 
yeah, we we got to cover that. We got to cover everything because as much th- as possible. Because you're thinking from a video editor's perspective, it's like that's a little fluff. We can maybe cut that out. Exactly. But she leaves it in. Yeah. And because I'm looking at her videos, they're like 13 minutes, 14 minutes, 12 minutes. Mm-hmm. But some are five, seven minutes as well. But it depends. Yeah. I guess. But I think erring on the side of of more information. I think is, is cool. I think there's a place for shorter videos, but if people are there on your channel to learn about something and they click on one of your videos, they're down to watch your stuff. So they're going to, they're going to watch it. Obviously you want the edit to be clean and you want it to be snappy, but, um, yeah. So we, we, we let some stuff run, um, because, you know, she just really genuinely wants to like get good info out there and like whatever it is like we just you know um did a video about this really cool like iphone attachment camera mm-hmm. and like there's so much to it and it's like super interesting it's just like, <laughs> okay we cover this cover that cover that every so, single mode you know yeah, yeah. Do, do you do the thumbnails or does she do them um i don't do the thumbnails actually she still edits a lot of her own stuff too. Like we, you know, really? So she doesn't hire out editors. It's just me. I do. I, it's, <laughs> it's just me and her. Yeah. I'm just looking at it. <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. So you guys split up edits maybe. So like maybe you might stack a couple videos. You edit one, she edits one kind of a thing. Or? Yeah. Yeah. We'll sort of like, um, you know, let's shoot sort of like marathon style. Like let's shoot for a week you know, and then we'll both sort of split up the work and like, and then we'll sort of, you know, sometimes we'll just do creative for a day or two or whatever. And it's like, you know, how can we do something a little extra for this video or like what's something unique or different that we could do. Um, and that's been really cool. It's like, um, I think, um, I think it's probably hard for YouTubers, like big YouTubers, like they need help, but it can be difficult to find somebody who not only like knows how to shoot and edit, but like a good personality mix, like someone who understands your vision, but can bring something to the table without trying to change things because you, you know, big YouTubers, they have a formula mm-hmm. to some extent. And, um, you know, whoever you have helping you needs to like understand that, you know, you can't just hire an editor. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's really difficult. And I think that, um, it's her and I like sort of like lucked out that like we work together so well. And it's like, um, it's been, it's been pretty great. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So as you're growing your YouTube channel, what are some things that you're, you're thinking about, you know, with the content and all that kind of stuff, just so that people who might be in a similar situation, maybe they just started or they're thinking about started starting, um, you know, what are some of the things that you're, you said you mentioned you're coming up with new ideas all the time. I mean, yeah. So I think what I, the goals of like the channel, the first and foremost goal is a is a selfish goal of wanting to document stuff for me for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to make vlogs, but I'm only going to make vlogs when it's something that I want to document into, you know, as a way of like remembering like a snapshot of something. Um, and I want to do, and also uh, I want to, um, do some informative videos. Like I'm writing a video right now about, um, Kodak Portra 400, Mm -hmm. um, sort of like the history of it, why it's such a popular film, why it's one of the best films you can get. And, um, just cause I was curious about that myself and I thought maybe other people would like to, you know, learn about that too. Cause I looked it up and I was like really fascinated about the history of that film um, a little teaser. There used to be two types of Portra 400, uh, neutral color and vivid color. And the reason they got rid of those is because they did in 
2006 or 2010. They got rid of those variants and just formed one film stock, which is just Portrait 400, because of the rise of Instagram and posting digital photos rather than print. Mm -hmm. So neutral color and vivid color Portra was strictly for printing. If you wanted, yeah, it was like depending on how you were going to print, you'd use this different type of film. And then uh, Kodak was like, oh, well, people aren't really printing as much, so maybe we'll make this and it'll be like, you know, people can make those adjustments in post post. yeah which is interesting to me because there's this like debate online about oh you should never edit your film photos um but i think that people don't really understand that like film photos do get edited they always have Mm -hmm. um maybe not in the same way that you edit raw photos in lightroom but like there are adjustments made when you're processing film anyway so like something like that that i find interesting that i learn about i i want to relay that in video form um and then also i just sort of want to start doing sort of like documenting film shoots uh photo shoots um when there's something interesting if i'm doing something like for a fashion brand or if i'm just doing some portraits with someone who's down to be on camera and like make an appearance in a video um just showing like the process um so i think that's sort of like the main goals right now but that being said like i'm sort of not going to hold myself to any like rules or anything like (laughs) that so but yeah what about the future of film like do you have an optimistic uh idea of it or is it a dying art form well i think that i think it's interesting that film photography has become a niche when it kind of shouldn't be like it's like it should be the default right like the the OG. yeah i mean before digital photographs people you know like i tag my you know, when I post film photos on Twitter or Instagram, I talk about which camera and which film stock I used. Um, you know, I, I mentioned that they were shot on film and it's like, wh- why do I do that? <laughs> you know, like 30 years ago, people wouldn't say, here's a photo of mountain shot on film. Cause obviously it was shot. on film. <laughs> so I think it's weird that film photography is like a niche. Um, and it's like gained so much popularity uh-huh. over the last 10, 20 years um, that like Kodak and other companies have started bringing back film stocks and like making more and selling more film than ever. They've kind of come out of retirement. Yeah. Way. And there's a lot of really awesome up and coming, like young film photographers who I like, and I like love. So are you saying that there's a chance that it'll always exist then? I think it'll absolutely always exist. Just like no doubt in my mind. How maybe in 30 years most cars will be electric, but there will always be car buffs that will collect exactly. vintage cars and yeah, car shows and mm-hmm. it's the same kind of thing like digital is clearly the future. It's going to get better. We're going to get computational photography that's out you know, out the wazoo. Yes. But, and I think that's amazing too. I'm yeah. stoked about that. But this is just a, such a, like you said, it's such an enjoyable experience for the creator. Yeah. And then it just has an organic look to it that can't be replicated. It really can't be. And I know that that will start to become less and less true. The more advanced image processing gets on the digital side, but sure. there's something about, you know, like you said, like... And Visco's gotten really good, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that. like, I the, use that all the time. The Visco film presets on your phone, but also they used to have Lightroom presets. Yeah. I don't know if they do that anymore. I think I have those. But, yeah, I mean, there's ways to emulate it, you know. Mm-hmm. But... But there's, you know... At least right now, you can always tell. Um, and... It's not that, you know, I don't see any, like, film being better than digital or vice versa. Like, there's great things about both. And, like, you know, one of my favorite, like, photographers who I consider sort of like a, you know, a peer is Drew, who you know. Yeah, Drew Photo. 
um his stuff, he was can, on the dude, podcast his stuff inspires the hell out of me and he shoots um digital and there's no way that i can like i don't have that's another reason i actually film because i don't have like crazy photoshop skills you know um yeah, well, technically, he's his affinity on his exactly. iPad. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have the skills in that either. Like <laughs> most people, don't have the skills in that you one. You <laughs> know, I could, I could learn, but like anyway, he's like a digital photographer who, like, I'm super mm-hmm. inspired by his work, and like, he's amazing. Um, he shoots on the 6D, the original. <laughs> dude, his stuff is so good. It's such an old camera. <laughs> yeah, um, and there are also film photographers who I'm really inspired by. Um, yeah, like Willem Verbeek. Uh huh. Um, I picked up his photo zine last year, um, and his work is amazing and he shoots medium format film. Um, but yeah, I might've just gone off on a really weird tangent. I don't know what the hell we were talking about before. (laughs) So basically the point of that conversation is film is not dead. The old hashtag is still alive. Oh yeah. And, uh, the film is not dead. Hashtag is alive. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and yeah, I mean, like you said, I, I've seen a couple of YouTube videos with like Kodak and stuff, and they've been talking about how there really has been a true resurgence in it. Yeah. Uh, Polaroid has come back as well. And, you know, vinyl records, mm-hmm. you know, and, and tapes now. Like, <laughs> I think Cassette that tapes, I think like what you were saying about electric cars, you know, in 30 years, that is going to be the norm, but there will be, you know, this sort of like like 70s mustangs are still going to be yeah people want as technology like gets crazier people i think will start to yearn for analog experiences more to counter the automation and the like you know all of that stuff i think that um we're starting to see that like big time over Mm -hmm. the last 10 years and i think that um film photography is a way of like sort of embracing something like that. And I just like, I love it. I love the whole experience of doing it. Someone, uh, someone I follow on Twitter said something I thought was amazing. He, Oh, miles, miles of color. I mean, follow him on Twitter cause his photos are insane, but they're mm-hmm. like, they're, he's really into like photo manipulation and creating like, really cool um dreamscapes like you know um stuff that i could like never like i would need to go back to school or something to learn how to do that i don't know (laughs) but he just makes amazing stuff and he said something along the lines of i mean it might be on his twitter but photo digital photography and photo manipulation specifically is about creating dreams and film photography is about capturing truth in a moment. Um, and I thought that that was like such a great way to put it. And those are both extremely valuable things. Um, it's a good way to put it because a digital sensor is just a collection of ones and zeros being captured and manipulated and whatever. Yeah. Whereas film is a chemical process of reality that was exposed onto the chemical. Yeah. Sort of what I was talking about, like the, like the whole experience, like the process of like using this camera is part of why you shoot film. I mean, if you want super sharpness and like, you know, you want it to be easy, Mm -hmm. easier, um, like the process of taking photos then digital is great but like if you want to slow down and get frustrated mm-hmm. shoot film <laughs> and <laughs> every shot has a legitimate cost to it so yeah. there's just more weight to every picture mm-hmm. that goes for the the model or the you know the subject and uh, and the photographer so I've, I've heard interviews with actors who say they prefer when they're for film for like movies they prefer shooting film because it's kind of like when you hear the film ticking it's like pressure money's being spent yeah i need to perform be Mm -hmm. on my best you know yeah i totally get that (laughs) and that goes for models too i would assume i don't know it's definitely true like i i still take a lot of digitals when i'm doing a film shoot i start with digitals and i'll shoot with my phone i'll shoot with my canon eos r and 
we'll start and for like, like exposure or for exposure for testing poses for testing like so we'll do some sh- digital shots and then it's like okay a m- mental note let's come back to this pose with the film camera uh-huh. and sometimes i'll have the film camera out and it's like okay you know yeah move a little to the left head down uh open up your jacket a little bit uh and then it's like you know a couple minutes of like working out the shot and then it's like okay never mind let's do something else and i won't take the picture um because like you said like it is you get 10 shots per roll with mm-hmm. this camera and they are yeah there's a cost to, to every frame so so when you're doing those digital shots do you just trash them usually <laughs> or? uh no i oh, it just depends like I, a lot of the time i'm just doing it with my phone okay um just to get a frame or something. yeah mm-hmm. and also i i use my phone i have a light meter app so mm-hmm. i use my phone as a light meter okay um so that's like a beautiful sort what, of merging of new and old what's the best tech. light meter for anybody who's starting out who wants to get in film photography is there an app or is oh, there i don't know uh, if it's the best but i buy. use uh, i don't know if it's the best one but i use an app called lightmate Mm-hmm. Um, because it's super simple to use, and I've never, work okay I've always gotten good results using it. Um, but there are other ones that might be a little better that are paid. That one's free, um, and I've always had great results with it. And that's, um, but that's just what I use. I don't know what the best one is. Have you bought a, like a legit meter as well at all? Or? I haven't. I've, yeah, I used to own one. Um, and it's not convenient. You got your phone in your pockets. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I might get one. Um, I'm going to start, I'm going to start doing more, a lot more studio photography. Mm-hmm. And there are certain things a real light meter can do that phone apps can't. Mm-hmm. Um, even though the the apps do a really good job of doing so there's two types of metering there are uh, reflective metering and uh, reflected light metering and incident light metering okay. and phones are great at reflected light metering you point your phone at the scene and it gives you an average exposure of what you should shoot for on your camera and then incident light is reading the light that is hitting an object so instead of pointing if I wanted to meter you right now, I would, instead of standing over there and pointing the camera at you, mm-hmm. the light meter at you, I would put the light meter right next to you and read what's falling onto your face. And I don't think that camera apps are great at that. I might be wrong about that, though. If someone knows, let me know. Um, but for studio work, that's really important because you you need to like more accurately measure what light is falling on the key side or the fill side and like yeah if you're flashes and stuff if for flashes or even if you're using continuous light if you want to like get a specific lighting ratio Mm -hmm. like you kind of need to be pretty precise with the light measurements and these are all things that have existed for years obviously because yeah that's how it was done (laughs) yeah yeah exactly when you watch like old movies in the 90s of like you know some sort of cut scene where there's somebody getting a portrait done like in, uh, you know, uh, uh, what's it called? Devil Wears Prada or something. Mm-hmm. Like, the photographer is using a light meter. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, or they got the, like, the giant, you know, large format camera with the, like, blanket over their head. Uh-huh. And, like, the, the, the plunger shutter uh-huh. cable release. Like, yeah, I love that. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> So uh, we're coming up on well, it's we're, so it's been an hour. Oh wow! This podcast that was fast. I know, right? <laughs> Holy smokes! Um, is there anything that you would like to add to our conversation to kind of close this up? Um, you know, somebody who's starting out in photography, uh, maybe even in YouTube life. Words of encouragement, things that you've learned along your journey. Um. I think when it comes to mm, if you're a photographer or if you're a YouTuber, I mean, it, it, I think it doesn't really matter. Whatever. I think something that's really important is um, being selfish. <laughs> what? Let me explain. <laughs> <laughs> um, I 
I think the only reason that I was able to get over like the weird feelings about that I had about starting a YouTube channel was to say, okay, I'm not going to make this because I want to get, you know, a bunch of views or I, or I want, I want to make, I want to start documenting things for me selfishly. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, I stopped taking certain types of photography gigs because I needed to be more selfish for my mental state. You know, mm. I don't do weddings beca- and that's a selfish decision, you know, uh, putting, putting myself first in a lot of ways I th- and is, can be really healthy. I don't take very many video clients because I'm really picky about that. I'm really selfish about who yeah. I, you know, sign a contract to do work for. Um, I think the word selfish could easily be replaced with the word focused too. I'm fo- I mean, yeah, right? I, I just think that I think, <laughs> but that, I think you're being really honest about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think selfish has a negative connotation. I think that, um, you know, putting yourself first, whether that's where you allow your energy to go and like, mm-hmm. you know, the environment that you're in and, and creatively, creatively too, in, in a collaborative it, way, you want to be selfless. But yeah, if you're, well, I just almost fell out of my chair. If you, I don't, I don't see you as a selfish person. You're, you're no, and kind, I think you're a kind person. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think I. Yeah, I, I don't mean um, selfish in that way. But I think that, um, yeah, it's a. I think it's an interesting way to put it. Um, so yeah, if you have made the choice to collaborate with somebody, then you've made that choice and you want to be collaborative and, and not selfish. But if you need to make a choice to not work with somebody, um, it's okay to say no, it's okay to be selfish. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that doesn't have to have a, a negative connotation to it. It's just sort of like, it's okay to, um, you know, think of numero uno a little <laughs> more often and, uh-huh. and, and take care, take care of yourself. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree. Um, obviously if you're struggling financially, you got to take what you got to take. Right. But of course, uh, but career wise, I completely agree. It wasn't until I started saying no to all those types of random jobs and just got focused on the one thing that I really wanted to do that I actually started seeing some success. Yeah. Um, for sure. I definitely, um, you know, when I was starting, I took basically anything I could get. Um, and at a certain point that can, you know, you can start to sort of like change that, but, Mm -hmm. um, but also when you're just starting, it's like, so exciting and you have a lot to learn and you need to do all those things to figure out what you like and what you don't like and what your yeah. style is and all that and all that stuff so and you've had a, a long journey you know yeah. from maker studio to you know working on all sorts of random things to now with justine yeah so your youtube channel you're starting fresh but not really you've got all this great experience behind yeah you. i feel really good about it <clears throat> i'm like um yeah and i was really inspired by like my parents like i just thought it was so cool that they you know they're like yeah we just want to be able to remember when we're old like all the stuff we did and then they're like wait we have 10,000 15,000 20,000 subscribers oh <laughs> um yeah that's i just awesome. thought i was like um you know what like that sounds cool i want like when i'm like 85 you know um <laughs> knock, knock on, on wood. wood um i want to be able to like you know, look back at what I was doing and who I was and like, you know, so I think that's cool. But I, I also think that it'll, it'll be fun to make some videos that may, maybe help some people and not from a place of like authority of any kind. Like I don't want to make tutorials. If, if I'm going to make something like that, it's going to just be my process, mm-hmm. not the way <laughs> like, yeah. um, you know, so yeah, we'll see, we'll see where, where that goes, you know? Well, Mr. Davis Tyler, thanks for being on the show. It was thanks, a pleasure man. having you on. Yeah, Good to know that you was awesome. on a more personal level. It was yeah, yeah. quick, right? 
Yeah, that went by so fast. Thanks, buddy, for coming on. Thanks and, a lot. Uh, I'll see you around. Appreciate it. I hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Davis Tyler. If you have any questions about film photography or even editing and shooting YouTube videos, feel free to hit him up at DVSTYLR on his social media accounts. That's basically short for Davis Tyler. Once again, make sure to check out our website, polarpro.com, to learn more about the VND we sell, as well as watch some of the amazing Focus Series short films. Once again, I'm Dave Mays. This is the Golden Hour Podcast, and we'll see you next week.